The first scripture this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is so great to see all of you here, whether you are with us in person or online, whether you are a new person visiting with us or a long-time attender. It's so great to see you. I'm Nathan Boyette. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my great privilege and delight to talk about Easter with you all. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Uh, one of my great uh, delights in getting to learn other languages is to see how people call things differently in different languages. And in Chinese and Korean, they don't say Easter, they say Resurrection Day. And I love that because that is what this day is all about. It's about the resurrection. Jesus's victory over death and sin. The Good Friday cross and Easter's empty tomb are inextricably linked. You can't separate them. Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin, but it would have been nothing without his victorious resurrection, which gives us new life. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in to this morning's message. Father God, we come to you this morning so thankful that we are your beloved sons and daughters. We thank you that though our sins are many, your grace and love is so much more. Thank you that you have saved us and loved us. Help us this morning as we reflect on the hope that is available in the resurrection to take joy, to be strengthened, to be comforted, to be convicted if we need to be. Holy Spirit, please be present in this room and speak through this message we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sit here this morning and as we meditate on Jesus' resurrection, I want, to place, I want you to place yourself in Jesus' followers' shoes. On the Saturday 
after his death. We have the Christ candle here lit. If you were here at our Good Friday Tenebrae service, you saw all the candles being extinguished, which represented Jesus' life being snuffed out, his life being extinguished for us. But the light is now lit. He is alive. He is risen. The tomb is empty. But place yourself in Jesus' followers' shoes on Saturday after his death. What would you have been feeling? You would have been scared, despairing, hopeless. Your expectations would have been shattered. And that's life in this broken, sinful world. Often our expectations are disappointed. Our hopes are unmet. But how much more for Jesus' followers who had followed him for three years, who had had such great expectations, who just the Sunday before, the Saturday, Sunday before had seen Jesus entering in triumph into Jerusalem. But his life was broken, extinguished. They had no idea what was coming the next day, like we do. And we see in Luke 24, the women and Peter come to the temple. They see the empty tomb. They're perplexed. They marvel. They can't understand what this is, what is happening. Throughout history, there have been many varied reactions to Jesus' resurrection. In Matthew, we read how the chief priests and the scribes told the guards to lie and say the disciples stole the body. Thomas, one of the disciples, doubted his brothers and sisters in saying that Jesus had been raised. He said, I won't believe unless I can see the nails in his hands, the spear mark in his side. And if I can't touch him, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus revealed those to him. And he confessed that Jesus was his Lord and God. And Acts, when the disciples spoke of Jesus' resurrection, the crowds mocked and even threatened the apostles. Later on in Acts, we see Paul before the Roman governor Festus speaking about this Jesus and his resurrection. And Festus says, Paul, you are out of your mind. You're crazy. Two early pagan critics of Christianity, Celsus and Porphyry, ridiculed Christian belief in the resurrection because it rested on the confused and contradictory testimony of frightened women, is what they said. The list could go on and on of critics, skeptics, doubters. Maybe some of you here today doubt Jesus' resurrection, or you know people who doubt. I'm not going to try to prove the resurrection to you this morning. It's not what the goal of today is. But I think the words of Dorothy Sayers are appropriate. She says, perhaps the critics are right, and the drama is played out now, and Jesus is safely dead and buried. Perhaps. Maybe. It is ironical and entertaining to consider that at least once in the world's history, these words might have been said with complete conviction. And that was on the evening of the resurrection. Since that day, nobody could say with certain confidence that Jesus hasn't been resurrected because Jesus' disciples and followers were so transformed and changed by what they experienced and what they saw that they went and lived radical lives, transforming the world, most of them dying for this belief. These weren't exceptional, extraordinary, highly educated men. These were common laborers. And they transformed the world because of what they saw, Jesus being raised from the dead. And these disciples and early Christians spent so much time reflecting on, marveling, hoping in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to some of their words. In Acts 5, 
Peter, speaking before the council of Jewish leaders, says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The same Peter, later on in his letter, 1 Peter 1, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Paul, reflecting on the passage that we're going to meditate on today, in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The passages could go on and on. The resurrection of Jesus was central to the message of Christianity, and they did not cease delighting in this reality. The early Christians, the eyewitnesses, were so convinced that Jesus died and actually truly came back to life. They believed this death and resurrection was central to Christianity. It was central to what God was doing in the world. It was central to how he was going to bring healing and salvation to our broken world, to the sin that each one of us has. And so they couldn't stop talking about it. Belief in this Jesus and what his death and resurrection provides is the only rescue from humanity's sin problem. It's the only rescue from our desperate situation. In 2010, there was a significant cave-in in a 120-year-old Chilean mine. Miners were trapped, 33 of them trapped, almost one kilometer below solid granite and five kilometers from the mine entrance. A giant 550-foot-tall block of the mountain had broken off and cut off all access to the outside world. These guys were in a hopeless situation, desperate, right? These 33 Chilean miners would be trapped underground for a total of 69 days, the first 17 days with no contact with the outside world, the first 17 days surviving on only 17, or two days' worth of food. But in the end, they were all rescued, all 33 of them. The rescue would take a worldwide effort and special drills imported from around the world to dig down to save these people. A 20-inch diameter hole was dug a kilometer down. And then they were lifted up out of the mine in a special capsule designed just to save them. When the last survivor, the shift foreman, stepped out of the capsule, the Chilean president said, you are not the same after this. Talk about the understatement of the year. You're not the same after this. And Chile won't be the same either, he said. Political propaganda aside, a traumatic experience like that is unquestionably going to have life-changing impacts. These miners, when they went home to their loved ones, how could they not be so incredibly thankful? They were trapped almost one kilometer underground. There was no way they could have gotten out of that situation on their own. They were without hope left to themselves. They needed someone outside of their situation to rescue them. We also were in a desperate situation, dead in our sins, completely beyond hope if left to ourselves. But Jesus came and saved us. 
He died in our place and was raised on our behalf. And when we believe in Jesus, when we are identified with him, we are united with him so that all that is true of him is true of us. And that's what we're going to reflect on today. The early Christians couldn't stop talking about the resurrection because it gave them such hope. What hope does the resurrection of Jesus give us? What hope does it give us? It gives us the best hope. Hope for yesterday, hope for today, and hope for tomorrow. And that's what we're going to reflect on today. Hope for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we see that we participate in Jesus' death and resurrection through faith. As we trust in Jesus, all that happened on the cross and in Jesus' resurrection also happened to each one of us. That is what theologians call union with Christ. We are united with him by faith so that everything that is true of him is now true of us. And that union has past, present, and future implications. Easter is a celebration of the wonderful salvation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that salvation covers our yesterday, our today, and our tomorrow. So first, hope for yesterday. The salvation secured by Jesus' death and resurrection provides us hope for yesterday, for the past. Look at verses 3 and 1 of Colossians chapter 3 with me. They combine to give us a hope as a result of the past death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, we have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. These verses reference not only Jesus' past death and resurrection but also our own past death and resurrection. Because you see, as we are united with Jesus in faith, his death and resurrection are our death and resurrection. When he died on the cross, we were there with him, dying with him so that our sins have been already been paid for. When he was raised to new life, when the tomb was empty, we were participating with him and were raised to new life. Our sin is like a record of debt, and Jesus has died for that record. Colossians 2, 4, 14 earlier says that Jesus has the record, or that we have a, uh, Jesus has taken the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he has canceled it. He has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Romans six twenty three. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Our sin has alienated us from God. It separated us from him. It is spiritual death, a record that we cannot pay, a burden that is too heavy for us to bear. But Jesus' salvation gives us hope for our past, for that the sins we have committed will no longer be held against us, that we will no longer be condemned for the wrongs we have done to one another or to God our Savior. Jesus has died in our place. Jesus has given us victory over sin and death. He paid the penalty for our sins that we should have paid. His resurrection gives us victory, freedom, life. Without Jesus, we were spiritually dead. Can a dead person do anything to save themselves? No. Yes, no. Who said no? I heard that. Good job. No, of course not. That is the extent of what God has done for us. We were beyond the help of man. We needed the outside intervention of God. And he came down to earth in human form to die in our place so that we could be saved. It's as if we had an incurable disease that was eating away at our bodies. But in Jesus, we are miraculously healed and freed 
from that very real slavery that is sin. The salvation secured by Jesus' death and resurrection gives us hope for our yesterday, for the sins which shame us and pile up as a huge burden which we cannot bear on our own. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul reflects, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Jesus gave us his righteousness and took our sins. One way to think of our salvation is to think of a chronic, life-shattering disease. Leprosy has existed throughout human history and has made countless people's lives inconceivably difficult. However, leprosy still exists today in many countries. At the age of 24, shortly after being widowed, Indian, an Indian lady, Rachna Kumari, contracted leprosy. She was shunned by her family, cast out of her village, had to leave her home, leave her two children, young children, in the care of her parents, and go to live in a leper colony near the large city nearby. She said, I suffered social exclusion, stigma, and discrimination. It was harrowing. I went into depression and lost the will to live. She existed like this in eight years of debilitating, isolating disease, Until finally, she was given a simple antibiotic and was cured from leprosy. She was reunited with her family and children, freed from the devastating impacts of her disease, and now is a crusader on behalf of those who suffer from leprosy in India. Jesus has saved us from a spiritual and eventual physical death, a disease that there is only one cure to, his death and resurrection, When we believe in him, we are freed from slavery. We are cured from that incurable disease, rescued out of our hopeless, isolating situation. Our past has been cleared, and we now stand before God the Father as a beloved daughter and son, reconciled, restored to relationship with the one whom we were created to know. The guilt and shame, which is rightly ours, was placed on Jesus. Our sin has been truly paid for however do you ever feel like your guilt or shame still exists do you ever still feel guilty and shameful for your past sins do you feel like you can never pay for the wrongs you have done that you will never be worthy to be god's daughter or son do you ever feel that way i certainly do at times our lord jesus has willingly taken our sins and died in our place for the death that we rightfully deserved. And he then gives us his life, his perfect record, his spotless record, to go on believing that you are still guilty or unworthy or shameful is to say that Jesus died for nothing, is to say that his sacrifice was not enough and that you still need to pay for your sins by feeling bad. He paid it all, brothers and sisters. The past has been taken care of. We have hope for that past. Jesus died to bring healing and transformation to his father's broken creatures. Sin has tarnished, broken God's good creation, but Jesus has provided the means to secure a restoration. If you are here today and you have not believed in this Jesus, then please talk with someone. Talk with whomever you came with. Talk to me. Trust in him Faith alone is all that you need to have. Belief that he died in your place and that in him you can have salvation. 
Second, hope for today. The salvation secured by Jesus' death and resurrection provides us hope for today, for the present. Verse 3, we read in Colossians 3, verse 3, we read, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. God is hiding our lives in Christ even now. Paul is reminding us that we have been united with Jesus through our belief in him. This is the present aspect of our unity with Jesus. We are living between Jesus' first and second coming. So there are features of the Christian life that are already true, but not yet fully realized. We still struggle with sin. We still live in a broken world. We are united to Christ in heaven, but we are not yet in heaven. We are here on earth living with sinful desires, warring in our hearts and sin all around us. Paul is emphasizing here in Colossians 3.3 that God is with us. We are hidden in, with Christ in God. Ever since Adam and Eve sinfully rebelled against God and were cast out of the garden, God has been trying to reconcile humanity to himself, to dwell with them again. Just listen to some of these, the, the story as I unpack it. He made promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the tribes of Israel that he would be their God and he would dwell with them in the promised land. And then Israel went down to Egypt and were enslaved there. And he saved Israel out of Egypt as slaves. He told them to build a tabernacle as they traveled through the wilderness. A tabernacle was basically a giant tent. As Israel traveled through the wilderness, they were living in tents. God wanted to dwell in their midst in the same situation as them. When they arrived in the promised land, he told all Israel and Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of the inhabitants, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Solomon, once they arrived in the land and they established homes, built a temple, basically a giant house, for God to live amongst them, to be with them, so that they could have a relationship with him. Finally, Jesus, God himself made flesh, dwelt among us. And in Matthew 1, 23, we hear the angel telling Joseph and Mary, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. The amazing reality is that not only did Jesus, the Son of God, come to dwell among us, but after his death and resurrection, he sent God the Spirit to dwell inside each of us, so that we are forever always living with our God who made us to have a relationship with him. And this passage, Colossians 3.3, reminds us that we are hidden with Christ in God at the same time that we are now living here. That is our positional reality. We have been hidden with Christ in God. We are protected and kept safe by our unity to Christ. The picture here is of a mother bird protecting its little chicks in the nest, covering it with its own body. What are we being hidden and kept safe from? In verse 3, it begins with the words, for you have died. And that's to tie us back to chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul writes, you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. In our union with Christ, we have been severed from the tyranny of the spiritual forces of the world. What are those? Sin, death, and Satan. They no longer have power or authority over us because we belong to Jesus Christ. We are safe we are hidden from anything that can condemn or attack us. I love the story of Corrie Ten Boom, the Dutch watchmaker who lived in the early 20th century. She endured the horrific Nazi regime and its brutal disregard for human life. 
Corey and her family were Christians who loved God and others passionately. And when the Nazis invaded the Netherlands and began to persecute and attack Dutch Jews, the Ten Booms helped them. They provided their own food, and they hid Jewish refugees in their home while they could await escape to Scandinavia. When the Nazi Gestapo would raid the house, Corey and her family had a secret room where the Jewish refugees would hide, and the Gestapo could not find them. The Jews hiding in the Ten Boom home would crawl into this small space and close the tiny door, and a dresser would be placed in front of it. And the Nazis could not discover them because they were hidden in this small room. Corey and her family hid the Jewish refugees from the Nazis' anger and brutal murder. Similarly, we also have been hidden in Christ from sin and death. Sin and death have it out for us, but they cannot get us. We are hidden in Christ. We are free from sin and death. We are no longer enslaved to it because we have been united with Christ. Sin no longer has mastery over us. We are hidden in our Savior. Because God has provided us a great and awesome salvation in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a new identity, an identity that covers our past and our present and our future, but we live in the already not yet, and so we struggle with sin. We should not give in to despair, but we should rather live differently. We should live with the reality that we have a joy-filled salvation. Sin is no longer identity. You are no longer sinner. You are beloved of Jesus Christ. We should live with gratitude. Gratitude for what our God did for us, for how our Savior suffered on our behalf. We should live out of gratitude, not shame and guilt. And we should live with a will and desire to fight our sin. Colossians 3 goes on to call Paul's readers and us to do this. We are called to seek the things that are above not set our mind on earthly things. And then in this same chapter, Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. In Colossians 3, 12, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are called, as those who have died and been raised with Christ, to put off sin and put on Christ and his character. As those who are currently hidden in Christ, we should put off our old attitudes of selfishness, sin, hate of God and others. We should put them to death, confess and repent of them daily, and then daily put on through prayer the character of Christ, praying, God, please help me today to be less selfish. Help me to sacrifice for my wife, my kids, my neighbors. Help me to not respond to angry words with angry words, to respond in kindness and love. This is a thing we have to do daily, putting off sin and putting on Christ. We are called to do that every day, and we can do it with hope because we have hope for the present in Jesus' resurrection. Finally, we see that Jesus' death and resurrection gives us hope for tomorrow, for the future. Look in Colossians 3, 4, where Paul writes, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the future aspect of our spiritual union with Jesus. 
Christ appearing is a reference to Jesus' second coming, something that is still far off, the final day when he will return to earth and all of sin, death, and Satan will be trampled under his feet in complete victory. And we will appear with him in glory when that happens. The very real but hidden identity that we have in Christ will be manifest for all to see. Our struggles with sin will end, our frail and faltering bodies will be remade, and we will be restored fully to the communion with God for which we were initially created. We will be restored to the right relationships with God and others that we long for. Our identity in Jesus, our union with him, will be finally fully realized. We will dwell in complete, perfect relationships. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul is here saying that Jesus is the first of many to be raised from the dead, both physical death and spiritual death. We have that to look forward to each one of us. In 1 John 3, 2, John, reflecting on this reality, the future anticipated reality, says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We look forward to the day when Christ will come back, and we will be fully remade into people like Jesus, without sin, without the failings of our bodies that have been impacted by sin. So Jesus' death and resurrection give us hope for tomorrow, for the future, because the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that we are in union with him helps us know that one day we also will be raised from the dead, just like him. We could understand it as Jesus' resurrection is like a down payment from God our Father, pointing to the fulfillment of his promises. The fact that Jesus died and was raised is a guarantee to us from God that he will do likewise for us. He will bring to pass what he has promised to us because he already brought Jesus back to life. Salvation we have in Jesus' death and resurrection gives us a future hope, but that's not just something that we think, oh, great, yeah, that's going to happen one day. It's something that should invade and impact our present, our life right now. It should impact our future security, how we anticipate what our future actually is. It should impact our success, our expectations, what satisfies us. It should impact our stewardship of everything that we have. The future hope we have because of Jesus' resurrection should impact our every day. We're not living for a better five years or ten years from now. We're living for a perfect, sinless, completely new creation where we will live with God and others forever, where there will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. We anticipate that future and have security in the present because of it. Our culture tells us that meaning and significance will be found in the things of this world. Money, sex, success, appearance, popularity is where we are told to find the meaning that we long for. These are all things that people try to find significance and identity in. But none of these will satisfy or last. Money cannot be taken with us when we die. Everyone has failures and our beauty fades as we grow older. Trust me, I know, as my hair thins every year. (laughs) Furthermore, because we've been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, we have spiritual security. We no longer have to prove our worthiness, our significance, or that we deserve God's love. 
We no longer have to strive to get what we feel we deserve. It is being given to us as a gift. As we live in the present, we should live as stewards of all that we have, because one day we will need to give an account to our Heavenly Father. Jesus, his son, died for us and was raised for us. How can we not use our time, our bodies, our resources, our very lives for him, the one who died for us? By way of conclusion, I'd like to share about one of my heroes, Hudson Taylor. He is arguably one of the greatest Christian missionaries in history. He was very unique in his day. He dressed like the Chinese people that he went to reach. He grew his hair long. He adopted the Chinese language to such a degree that when people would interact with him, they had no idea that he was a British uh, gentleman. But he himself struggled with frustrations in his, his own spiritual life. In a letter to his sister, he wrote, listen, my mind has been greatly exercised for six or eight months past, feeling the need personally and for our mission of more holiness, life, power in our souls. I feel the ingratitude, the danger, the sin of not living near to God. I prayed, agonized, fasted, strove, made resolutions, read the word more diligently, but all was without effect. Every day, almost every hour, the consciousness of sin oppressed me. Then came the question, is there no rescue? Must it be like this to the end? Constant conflict instead of victory, defeat? Can you hear the striving and effort in this? Can you also hear the despair and defeat? Hudson's Taylor's, Hudson Taylor's experience mirrored the Colossians' efforts at holy living, of self-improvement. His experience echoed mine. It echoed yours. If there's no hope for Hudson Taylor, a spiritual giant by our own standards, then what hope is there for us? After a friend encouraged him to look to Jesus and Jesus' salvation, Hudson reflected on that, and then he joyfully wrote back to his sister, here is the secret, not asking how I am to get sap out of the vine into myself, but remembering that Jesus is the vine, the root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit, all Let us not then want to get anything out of him, but rejoice in being ourselves in him, one with him, and consequently with all his fullness, not seeking for faith to bring holiness, but rejoicing in the fact of perfect holiness in Christ. Let us realize that inseparably one with him, this holiness is ours, and accepting the fact, find it so indeed. As Christians, our lives are so wrapped up with Jesus that our past, present, and future identities are tied to him. His resurrection gives us hope for yesterday, for today, for tomorrow. We are in Jesus Christ. And all the fullness that he has, his perfect record, his beloved nature as a son of God is now ours. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the wrongs that you did this morning in getting ready for church. Rather, he sees Jesus' spotless record. The love that he has for Jesus is the love he has for you. The Father's love and pleasure in Jesus is ours. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to earn it. It's already ours by God's grace. Let us then, in joyful gratitude, live radically different lives. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning so incredibly thankful that you are God and Savior, that you are not a God who wrathfully destroys those who wrong him immediately, but that you are a God 
who patiently endures, joyfully extends mercy and grace to us. Thank you that you have stamped out sin and death in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we trust and have faith in Jesus, everything that is true of him is now true of us. Our sins are wiped away. We have victorious new life through the resurrection that we participated in. Thank you that we have hope for every part of our lives, for our yesterdays, our present today, and our tomorrow's future. We pray that as we go out here from today that we would joyfully reflect together on that resurrection hope and we would also joyfully tell others who do not yet know about it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.